part of the struggle with the modern Christian message is uh, this uh, belief, if you've ever heard it or, or the concept of it, is what's called the victorious Christian life. Uh, this message teaches that those who faithfully dedicate themselves to disciplines will reap the benefits of God's blessings. That's kind of the concept behind it. All of your needs will be provided for. There's, uh, the struggles will decrease over time and God will place a, a special heads of protection around your family. The victorious Christian life. And this message sounds amazing. It kind of goes something like this. God loves you and wants what's best for you. He wants to protect you and bless you, give you everything your heart desires. Simply obey him and it's all yours. Sounds good to me. We then look at people who never stop talking about the blessings in their lives. So it's like, wow, this message must be true. How God prevented a car accident from happening. How God provided money. How they no longer struggle with certain kinds of sin. So they are living in this victorious Christian life. So God seems real to them, as if they could pull out their phone and hit speed dial and have the next blessing delivered their way. Anybody ever met anybody like that? I have. Somehow, they have tapped into that part of the relationship with God that others seem to be missing. And of course, if they have any kind of platform, what do they do? They write a book about it. How you too can tap into the speed dial of God. So what's the secret, right? What am I missing that they have? I guess I just need to try harder and one day I too can have the victorious life and the blessings of Christ. Well, when you look at this kind of relationship, it turns God's relationship with us into transactions. God takes care of those who take care of their business, basically. Or another way of saying that is, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> We've heard that one. It really sounds more like the American dream than any kind of biblical reality. Opportunity is out there, spiritually speaking. Just simply go make it happen. The only thing stopping you from making your dreams a reality is your level of what? Dedication. Now, this is something new to our church. I've mentioned this in the past this mindset or theology is what we call, historically call, pietism. Pietism is the belief that, that my performance or the increase of my morality can gain me something I would not otherwise have from God. God withholds himself until certain requirements are met by me. And so the lack of any type of victory in my life is directly connected to the lack of obedience or faithfulness on my part. And I would say that this is really just an unbalanced view of Scripture and of life. If you spend any time in your Bible, reading your Bible, you will find quickly that no one in the Bible ever experienced their relationship with God in this way. If you look at no prophet, no king, no disciple ever lived the victorious Christian life. That is where the life was constantly increasing and getting better. The reality of the Bible is that we all one day are going to face some kind of tragedy, whether it's someone else upon us or our own, uh, our own failures. And I would say that it's not if, but when tragedy strikes. 
is what I see from Scripture, the warnings. We will suffer loss in some form the longer we live. Degeneration of our bodies and our minds, constant frailty of our flesh, growing weak with temptation. I was reminded this week, I spent two hours in the pool with my teenage children, and I woke up the next day not feeling like a teenager. I was very sore. Almost every run in this room will suffer the loss of a loved one if they have not already. And very soon will probably suffer again. People in this room will be diagnosed with cancer. Some will suffer the dysfunction of a limb, the loss of a job, a loss of relationship, betrayal, depression. The list of potentials can go on for endlessly. Again, not to heap on, but to put into perspective, it is not if these might happen, but when. I can feel it already. Wow, John, what a great way to start my week. Thanks, buddy. Glad I came today. Well, unfortunately, it's not my job to tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. You need to hear truly that the false hope that we've been given doesn't result in what's promised. Now, many of us already know that pietism doesn't work because we've tried it or we've seen others try it and the victorious life just cannot be had. It kind of leads to what I would say undesirable outcomes. We say things like, after the result of pietism is taking place, we say things like, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm like, really? I can think of a hundred things and a hundred circumstances that will not make you stronger. If you live in a pietistic culture, we try and hide our struggles in our life. Being honest would be admitting failure, so we hide it. I don't want to seem less than, because it's a performance-based system. If I'm not doing well, I'm less than, so I'll hide my struggle. I'll hide my fear. I'll hide what's truly going on in me. And then there's the self-medication response, right? We have to cope with this frailty that we live in. So we try to drown our struggles with work or children or entertainment, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Everybody has their shtick. And then ultimately this this leads into self-pity, right? Why me? Why did this have to happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Now listen, I have complete compassion with everyone who feels this this morning because I find myself in the same situation. I judge not, for I too struggle underneath this weight of the frailty of life. And thankfully, God has not left His children without hope and instructions when it comes to walking through life's disappointments. And what we are, as a church, about to experience will be life, a breath of fresh air to us. The the, the trials that we face, I think, will be put into a perspective that leads us away from discouragement and towards hope. Here in John 14 is the last words of a dying man to people he loves. He eternally, uh, have eternal significance, these words and application for all those who come after. 
Jesus is about to pour out his heart to his sheep. Everyone has been removed from the context that are not his sheep when he unfolds these words. Judas is now gone. It's just his sheep. And he invites them to draw in closer into his presence and see him up close in ways that no one in the history of the world has ever experienced Christ or a relationship with God. What we will find in this moment, in this precious moment, is very opposite from a pietistic message. Jesus tells us not what we must do to receive him, but what he has done and will do secure our blessings for us. So Jesus' message in John 14 through 17 is not of what must be done to be gained, but what Christ has done so that we might receive it. He just finished in John 10 talking about this tender shepherd. And so now he is bringing his sheep in and giving them a message of hope, not duty. He's giving them grace, not law. Now, in John 14, before we read these next words from Jesus, I think it's helpful to look at the context of the disciples, those who are hearing this message from Jesus, and put it into its perspective. So, as a real quick review of what's going on so far here, just in John chapter 13, going into 14. These men, these 11 men, have left their entire lives to come and follow Jesus for the last three years. Sometimes we disconnect that. All of a sudden, it's like these Disciples were born. Boop, here they are. They're disciples of Jesus. These men had families. They had homes. They had careers. One of them was a doctor. Left that to be tutored, trained underneath Christ. For three years, they followed Jesus around every day, slept with him, ate with him. So imagine the shock to their system when they hear about him leaving. Wait, I leave everything and everyone behind to follow you, to be a part of your message and your mission, and now you're going to leave us behind. This is why Peter, in frustration, tells Jesus, well, wherever you're going, I'm going. You can't leave me behind. I'll die for you before you leave me behind. So... That's one context, and then Jesus kind of heaps on more. And by the way, one of you is a traitor. They have no idea who it is. So imagine that. Man, three years I spent every day with these guys, and one of these guys is going to betray Jesus? How did I miss that? How did I miss that? Then Peter will deny. We just, he just tells the whole crowd. Hey, by the way, Peter, this love that you've shared and this dedication, three times you're going to give, be given an opportunity to prove that, and you will fail all three times. So in one night, their entire world came crashing down around one meal. Remember before they were entering in the room, what were they discussing? Who gets the king's seat, right? Who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom? Like, man, Jesus, is, he's got this thing. We are, we are rolling. We just did the triumphal entry. Everybody's on board. I mean, he rode it on a donkey. I'm not sure how he did that. But he's all, we're all on board. And now he's saying he's leaving and we can't follow him. Well, what kingdom is he going off to? What world is he going off to? Well, the next set of verses 
will be a little more clear with this setting in mind. Pin drop in the room. Absolute failure and crush. Now read John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Well, now you know why Jesus says this. <laughs> There's a lot of trouble in the room. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, I'm sure Jesus is looking into the faces of these men and can see the fear written all over them. In the face of pending tragedy, Jesus doesn't offer them a solution to the problem. He doesn't provide a list of helpful tips. Okay, men. Here's what you need to do to overcome this. He says, don't worry. I'll protect you from what's about to happen. He told Peter of his impending epic failure and then says, oh, but don't be troubled by that. You're about to do the very thing you say you would never do but don't let it trouble you. So you believed my father up to this point. Otherwise, you would not have followed me this far. You believe his words that I am the Messiah would come and that I would sit on the throne of David. You're excited about me sitting on the throne of David, so it's clear you believe in my father. You believe that he would set captives free, heal the sick, and rule over his kingdom forever. So you trust God and his promises. You trust God in what he's told you. Now I want you to trust what I am telling you. And I've proven it to you. I've proven it through the, the fulfillment of the prophecies, through the miracles, and my life, my perfect life. I do not want you to be disturbed, but trust me. And here is my final reasons why you should trust me. Even though you will abandon me, even though... All of you will leave me, deny me, forsake me. I will not forsake you. Read verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Even though you are about to forsake me, I will not forsake you. I will come and get you in spite of you and take you to come and live with me and the Father. That makes the phrase, don't be troubled. I know you feel the weight of failure, but don't be troubled. You are my sheep. And as he says in chapter 10, I will lose none of them. I will lose none of you. Now, I think it's vitally important that we understand the purpose of the words of Christ here because this will become a theme throughout the rest of the discourse of John through, or Jesus' discourse from chapters 14 through 17. There are, there are two promises hinted at here in the text here in just the first three verses. The first promise is that Jesus is not promising the removal of the trials. Or the removal of their failures they're about to face. But, the f but that following him will only increase them. So they're not only going to have their own personal failures, but they're going to then experience the tribulation of others who hate the message of the gospel. This is why Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. 
And then secondly, the promises of a future reality not found in this world. This is important here. What were they celebrating? Victory now, right? We will have freedom from the Romans now. We will have this great kingdom now. And Jesus says, it's not of this world. Which is the mistake, as I pointed out earlier in this message of the victorious Christian life. Victory now is not the promise. The hope he offers is that of what comes soon. Of that which comes soon. And this is what will make the next statement so helpful in his context. Look at verse 2 again. In my father's house are many rooms. In other words, it's not just me and my father. There's a place in our home for you. You have to understand, in the Israelite's mind, in a Jewish mind, the idea of living within the presence of God's home, that is not a context that they have for. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, you're going to come live with us. And this is how it happens. Keep reading. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And we tend to think of Jesus with a carpenter's belt here at this moment. Hammering away on these new mansions, as the King James says. Mansions. He has had 2,000 years to work on this place. So it's got to be pretty epic at this point. Unfortunately, we lose what he's pointing to when we think of the place and not the entrance into the place. The idea is not to find hope in the place, but the fact that you belong there. That's the hope. What did Jesus tell us in chapter 13? I must be like the grain of wheat that dies and goes into the ground and what comes out of it? New life. The resurrection comes out of it. I am dying for you so that you might have new life. So Jesus has been constantly pointing to his work on the cross and what will take place on the cross. So the connection is this. He uses the symbol of preparation, saying my journey to the cross is the preparation for your entrance into the Father's home. He even uses the Passover as a symbol of this. My body broken for you, my blood spilt. This is the construction of your passageway. I am going to prepare residency. You do not belong there now, but you will. This is why he tells them in the beginning of chapter 13, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but when it's finished, you will. So I need to go and get things ready so that when I return, you will see what I've done. I mean, it is kind of funny to think that God needs 2,000 years to prepare homes for us when he spoke the world into existence like that. Jesus doesn't need 2,000 years to build you a home. Turn with me real quick to John chapter 13. Look at verse 20 and 21. Jesus is going to kind of put this all together, this, this flow of thought. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me, the one whom sent me. Now, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. So here's the hope of the message. 
And then he uses the same word troubled here in verse 20, or 21 as he does in verse 1 of chapter 14. And in a short few hours, Jesus will go into the garden and again will hear of this heart being troubled as he did at Lazarus' grave. So there's this theme of, of Christ being troubled within his soul. And what is that? Jesus facing the reality of God's wrath. Here's the connection. I will be troubled on your behalf. You don't be troubled. I'll be troubled in your place. Because I have, I'm going to prepare a way for you to become the residence of me and my father. And then he says, but don't despair. I'm not leaving you alone. You have to, again, that concept of, I've dedicated my life to you. Uh, I'm going to be with you. And all of a sudden now you're leaving me. He says, oh, I'm, I'm not leaving you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Do not despair. I found this a very helpful quote. It's a very long quote, but I'm going to read it. I found it a helpful quote. Taking the concepts of trusting God, trusting Christ, and then connecting it to message of John chapter 14. This author says this. Believe in God, O Christian. Let not your heart be troubled, for thy God is possessed of infinite power, wisdom of Solomon, and goodness. He knows what is best for thee, and he makes all things work together for thy good. He is on the throne, ruling amid the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that none can stay his hand. Why then art thou cast down, O my soul? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swellings thereof, what though trials come thick and fast, what though I misunderstood and unappreciated, what though Satan roar and rage against me, If God be for us, who can be against us? Believe in God. Believe in his absolute sovereignty, his infinite wisdom, his unchanging faithfulness, his wondrous love. Believe also in me. I am the one who died for thy sins and rose again for thy justification. I am the one who ever liveth to make intercession for thee. I am the same yesterday and today and forever. I am the one who shall come again to receive you unto myself, and ye shall be forever with me. Yes, believe also in me. John 14 tends to be a very famous quoted verse in the midst of a trial. Rightfully so. Good verse to memorize. But I think you miss the significance when you don't realize what he's saying. This trouble that you find yourself in is not your ultimate doom. Your failure to be faithful is not your ultimate demise. Believe in me. What was the message of Jesus Christ? Come to me. In the very next verse we're going to cover next week, he says, you know the way. Of course, Thomas says, no, we don't. What is that way? (laughs) 
No matter what trial or tribulation we face today or tomorrow, we have that same assurance of our God and our Savior that says, I'm never going to let you go, so don't be troubled. Our entrance is not guaranteed according to our faithfulness. Our entrance has been guaranteed because of Christ's payment on our behalf. This is him saying, I have prepared this place for you. I think it's fitting to read the Apostle Peter's letter here after he cursed Jesus and denied him. Later in Peter's life, he finally writes this letter that I think is very precious and I'm very tempted to preach it soon. A man who had every reason to be ashamed of himself and of what he did and has no claim over the promises of Christ according to his own actions, writes this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter walked away going, I'm so thankful that my Savior is faithful. That my Savior is faithful. If we entrust ourselves to Christ and to the hope of his return, not in this world, but in the world to come, then there is hope. I will never tell you how to make this life better. Now, there's common sense that non-Christians can even obey. Not stealing will make your life a lot easier, I promise you. Not murdering your neighbor won't help you not end up in jail. But do you really need me to tell you that? It's a fool's errand to think that performance gains God's blessings. You will never find joy and true satisfaction when it comes from your own faithfulness or your own righteousness. So Jesus says, look past the trials, look past the troubles, and look to him. Do not be troubled. Believe what I have told you for three years. Believe what I have told you for 13 chapters. To the future that you have with me based on upon me, not based upon you. Now, if I point you to your own works and your own faithfulness, your own abilities, you are bound for disappointment. I was sitting in a coffee shop last week, and there was clearly a man of the cloth because he was dressed with a certain kind of shirt on, And I was unfortunately sitting close enough to hear his counsel to this particular person he was counseling. And he would offer up counsel. Well, maybe try this, try this, and this. And they would explain why they've already tried that and it didn't work. I think he offered about 19 different solutions to her problem. And none of them worked. Many of you have sat across from me. How do I deal with this? How do I fix this? And you've heard me say, you know, the struggle is real and remains until Christ makes all things new. I too struggle. I too need redemption. So sometimes there is no explanation for what we experience. I don't know why tragedy happens in certain ways that it does. Death, abuse, sickness, Other than I know God is in control, 
And he says, do not be discouraged. Believe me. I am in control. Believe me. So weary Christians depend upon God in the midst of your trial. That's the conclusion that Christ gives for us here as he works through John. He will not abandon us. He did not abandon us. He will not leave us, even though it feels this way. All the blessings of Christ and your eternity with him and with the Father are yours because Christ prepared the way for you. And I think it's important to understand is that he didn't start the road and now you must walk it to the end. He says, it's completed. It's a done deal. Those who belong to me are mine. And he leaves us here because there's much work to be done. There are others that need to hear of this message of Christ. And so as we walk through the trials of life and we're waiting of his return, we do not lose hope. Because this is not our home. It's okay if this house we live in falls apart. It's okay if this world self-destructs. <laughs> there are many Christians today trying to bring heaven into reality now. It won't work. I don't know about you, but the longer I'm alive, it seems like sin only becomes worse. There's more sin. Not only in my life, but in the world. It's a horrible place to live in right now. It's filthy in relation to the purity of God. So if you're trying to find joy in filth, you will be disappointed. And Jesus says, hold on. Don't put your hope here. Put your hope in me. Don't be discouraged. I am coming back. I am coming back. So I think there can be joy in this life. There can be hope. There can be satisfaction. But it's never in your circumstances. You will never have the perfect marriage. How do I know that? Because I tried and I still can't find it. You will never have the perfect job or the perfect children or the perfect home. Why? Because you're trying to find satisfaction in a system that is broken. Even if you were able to create that scenario for yourself, someone else is going to come in and rain on your parade. It's going to happen. You know, most of the struggles in my life actually aren't because of myself. I've learned stupidity gains you nothing. So I'm like, all right, don't be stupid. It's other people's stupidity that bothers me. Well, what am I going to do? Remove everybody out of my life? I can't do that. And it's a fool's errand to think that all of my troubles in my life are the result of someone else. Say, so you played all into that trap. Yeah, yeah, it's everybody else's problems that are my problems. No, it's not. When you find yourselves at the end, okay, my life is now upside down. My life did not turn out the way I thought it would. I am not where I expected to be. Guess what? You're exactly where Jesus wants you. He doesn't claim to be sovereign and it not be true. Nothing happens 
that is outside of his control. And then he says, oh, don't be troubled. (laughs) You're okay. I have you where I want you. And the ultimate joy and your ultimate life and your final satisfaction, it's secure. Now, I just need you to live today believing in that. And church, this is why, men, let's get ready for the table. This is why we take the table every week. It's that reminder to stop and say, I need to believe in God. My troubled heart needs to find rest in the promises of Christ and deny the lie that I find myself where I am today because of my failures. Unfortunately, I've heard too many stories of people who have sickness or some kind of tragedy that happens and they are told that that tragedy is the result of their lack of faith. I just don't see that in Scripture. So when I was 21, I, or right, three days before I was 21, I experienced the reality of life in probably its full force than I had ever experienced in my young life at that moment. I believed God would answer prayers. And I believe God loved me, and I believe God loved my father. So the logic is, I love dad, God loves dad, let's fix dad. It's a good solution, God. (laughs) And he didn't. The whole world came crashing down. You see, at that moment, I had prepared my entire life to be in a relationship with an earthly father and live with him. And not only that, in the last three years, I had been training in college to go back and minister with him in his church. So my whole future was set in place. So there's this side of me when the disciples are feeling like, hey, wait a minute. My entire future just got squashed. What am I supposed to do now? When God completely disrupted my future. It wasn't until many, many, many many years later I realized that God does not work on our plans. And that my dad didn't die because I was unfaithful to pray hard enough. Or that my dad didn't die because he was unfaithful to live a certain way. I don't understand how everything works, but one thing I do know is that I don't have to let my heart be troubled because I know God in Christ is in control. Father, we thank you for not abandoning us to giving us this truth. Now I pray that the Spirit will come and press this in on our hearts, that we believe it. Lord, help our unbelief. Increase our faith today. For those who are weary and weak, may we be compassionate and patient. Lord, may we hold them. For those who are feeling weak, may we allow those around us to hold us to shepherd us, to guide us back into the faith of Christ, away from our self-performance, and truly find rest. In Jesus' name, amen.